This morning, we're continuing in our series called What a Mess. And really what I want to focus on today is just to talk about the reality of the situation that we currently find ourselves in. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, this past year was just a mess. (laughs) It probably left most of us with these deep-seated scars of pain and frustration and anger, confusion, sadness, exhaustion, as we start to think back on all the things that we experienced this past year. But I also hope that you found some time to find joy. Joy in maybe spending some more time at home with loved ones. Joy with maybe watching your kids grow up instead of having to be at work and missing it. Joy with maybe reconnecting with friends and family online that you haven't seen or heard of in a very long time. Or maybe joy in rediscovering yourself, finding some ways to make some changes for the better in your own life to make you a better person. You know, for me, I've experienced the full gambit of emotions this past year. From happiness to sadness to confusion to doubt to worry to panic to exhaustion and more exhaustion and deeper exhaustion with having a child, right? And it just kept going down and down and and then rediscovery and joy. And I think where I currently find myself is at a a deep-seated level of sadness. And it's a sadness that goes deeper and, and wider than this pandemic that we currently find ourselves in. I really wish that there was a way that we could disagree with each other, but still respect one another, still show love towards one another, that we would seek to find the truth rather than just jumping into conclusions and making assumptions based off of things that we read online or that we watch on TV, that we would really seek to know what the real information is rather than acting on these false things that we read and just creating conflict for the people around us and the people in our world. Because the truth is a lot of us are struggling. And I know a lot of you in this room and a lot of you watching online are going through some really powerful and deep struggles. We've read about them in prayer requests. We've had conversations with you regarding them. We know that this is a big thing and it's difficult. But what's helpful for me to remember as we're all going through this together is just that. It's to remember that every single one of us is struggling right now. You know, there's that old saying that says, we're all in the same boat. Well, I don't believe that's true. I think we're all in the same storm, but I don't think we're all in the same boat. I think some people are cruising in yachts, some people are on cruise ships, some people are in rowboats, and there's some of us who are just clinging to a piece of wood floating in the ocean, trying to survive like Jack from the Titanic, watching other people drown around us. You see, we're all going through something, and that's a normal part of life, and it's okay to feel emotional right now. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel worried. It's okay to feel a little panicked and overwhelmed and exhausted. It's okay to feel confused. That's a normal part of our life, and it's how we process. It's how we find closure. It's how we move through these traumatic events in our life. But one thing that's really helped me during this season of life is also to remember it's okay to show grace to people. It's okay to show love to people. It's okay to show some mercy and forgiveness to people because All of us are going through something. Every single one of us, we're struggling. And if that's you this morning, if you find yourself struggling, I want you to know that you're not alone. There are so many people out there who can be a resource for you. There are so many resources out there available for you to let you know you don't have to go through this all by yourself. Because right now, there are really four things that most of us are dealing with. Anxiety, depression, obsessiveness, and loneliness. 
If we break those down, let's look at it. Anxiety. We have this anxiety that's filling us up over the unknown and uncertainty of what is to come. We have this depression that exists inside of us as we watch the events of our world unfolding in front of our very eyes. We have this obsessiveness, obsession in our life because we always need to be in the know. We want to know what's going on with the virus. We want to know what's going on with politics, with the government, with the stimulus checks, with taxes, with the coronavirus. We are being consumed by information. And it's almost to the point of obsessiveness. We're always on our phones. We're always reading on Facebook and news media outlets, watching the TV. We're being obsessed with this information. We have to know. But there's also loneliness. And this one may seem surprising. You're like, why loneliness? Because we're all at home, right? We're with family and we're spending time. Well, just think about our kids who used to go to school, hang out with their friends, eat lunch with them, talk with them, engage with them during passing periods and breaks. If they're younger, playing with them during recess on the playground or even at home, going into the yards and the streets and playing with the neighbors, all of that has been removed. All that's gone. And they find themselves alone. And this loneliness starts to creep in and it's overwhelming. And that's hard for me as a parent to really know that that's what's existing. That's the reality of the world around us right now. And we're all struggling and going through something different. And it's hard. I don't want to downplay it. This past year has been a very difficult and a very rough year. And I think that if we have seen anything, what that really is, is that we are just in this incredible place right now where we're actually entering into what's called the disillusionment phase of this pandemic of this disaster. You see, every disaster, every pandemic goes through a series of stages, if you will, phases. It starts with the pre-disaster, this warning, hey, it's coming. We learn information about it. We do our best efforts to try to put a cap on it, which is this heroic phase where we think, man, we got it under control. Everything's great. It's good. And then all of a sudden we're at this honeymoon state where it's like, man, we got a control of it. Everything's great. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But then we find out we were wrong and we plummet. And we hit the very bottom. And then we slowly enter back into what's called the disillusionment phase, where we start to come to terms. We start to work through the grief that we're experiencing in our life in hopes that we can get to this reconstruction phase, which is where we find the new beginning. And that's what Pastor Carlos talked about last week, about the new normal of our life. And I think when we really look at it, we are entering this disillusionment phase. Because let's be honest, we're exhausted. We're burnt out and we're overwhelmed. And it's at this stage in a disaster and a pandemic, the risk of suicide, the risk of depression, the risk of substance abuse, of alcohol use skyrocket because they are directly related to social isolation, to significant changes in our lives and our working environments, to anxiety over the unknown, and just the stresses of having to figure out childcare and work at the same time. See, we're all in this right now. We're all struggling. We're all really going through some hard times. And I think we all can agree, regardless of who you are, your age, your gender, your race, what side of the political spectrum you find yourself on, we all can agree this past year was rough. It was tough. And if we're being honest, 2021, it's not looking too good either. <laughs> because America is in a serious time of crisis. We are in a serious time of crisis right now. And it leads us asking the question, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? When we look around, all we see is conflict. People arguing, people fighting, people hating, people rioting, people protesting, people committing acts of violence. 
What are we supposed to do? What a mess we find ourselves in. And we're asking ourselves, man, we are in this state of crisis. Where do we go from here? Because all of us are concerned about the future. And if I'm being honest with you, I have a hard time seeing a future in America where Christians in the church don't experience more persecution. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know when it's going to come or how severe it's going to be, but maybe it's some significant pushback to preaching the word of God. Maybe it's labeling messages and sermons that talk about sin as hate speech towards people. Maybe it includes some kind of financial pressures. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's time for us as Christians to be ready. It's time for us to prepare ourselves. And we do that by fixing our eyes on the author and the creator of our life. By staying true to who Jesus has called us to be, no matter what happens in the world around us. And so what I want to do this morning is really just to give us some principles to help guide us on this path. To figure out where we go from here and what God is calling us to do. Because the reality is we are a nation at war. We are a society at war, not with some foreign nation or some foreign power, no, with ourselves. We're always fighting. We're always bickering. We're always rioting or protesting. We see it over and over and over again. And I think Jesus is calling us out. You know, to be called out, it means to be summoned to action. And I think Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, look, you call yourself a Christian. Let's be honest. You call yourself a Christian. What is a Christian? Someone who's made in the image of God. Someone who exemplifies and is an example of the characteristics of who God is. And he's calling us out right now saying, is what you're doing in your life and how you're responding to what's happening in the world around you, is that a reflection of me? Or are you engaging in conflict? Are you engaging in the flesh, giving in to what you see, allowing the anger to control you? Because we are in conflict. We are in turbulent times right now. And God is calling us out and saying, no, don't engage in these things because there is a better way. There's a better way for you. You don't have to fight in the flesh. I've got something more powerful for you. I have something greater for you. And so that's what we want to do this morning is just to look at what that is, what action that God is calling us to. And I think the first principle we need to understand is simply this. The weapons of our warfare in a world that's in conflict around us are not carnal. And I'll explain what that means in just a minute. But I want to start by giving you the political background of what was happening in Jerusalem during the first century. We actually read about this from a man by the name of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn it to Acts 5. Or if you're online, open up your Bible apps. But we're going to be in the book of Acts for a little bit and starting in chapter five. And while you're turning there, let me set the stage for you. Pretty much Jesus had just died and the apostles were going out because Jesus had told them, go and make these disciples and preach the word of God to all the nations. So they're out there, they're preaching the word of God. They're trying to tell people about who God is in the Sanhedrin who are the leading law at this time, the experts. They see the apostles and they say, hey, you know what? You probably should stop that. The apostles are like, why should we stop that? And like, well, Jesus is dead. He died. Why are you going around and telling people to follow this guy who's gone? He doesn't exist anymore. It's ridiculous because he's gone. What's he supposed to do? He died. He's not here. So you probably should stop talking about him. And the apostles are like, <laughs> yeah, right. And they go. And what they do? They start preaching even more. They start performing miracles and doing these amazing, wonderful signs. And the Sanhedrin hear about this and they once again go to the apostles and they say, by whose name do you do these things? How are you performing these miracles? And they say, by Jesus Christ, because he's alive and well. And they're like, oh, how dare you? 
And they say, you know what? It's forbidden to talk about Jesus. It's now against the law. We're gonna put a law in place that says it's against the law to mention the name of Jesus Christ. You can't teach about him. You can't preach about him. You can't share about him. He's gone. Give it up. Your movement is dead. And what do they say? <laughs> yeah, right. And they go back out when they do, start preaching even more. And the Sanhedrin hear this and they are furious. So they go and they arrest the apostles and they bring them in for trial this time for violating the law. And they say, how dare you break the law that is in the land. But I love the apostles' response. Look at this in Acts chapter five, verse 29. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Notice how confrontive that message is. <laughs> how combative that message is. They're pretty much saying, hey, by the way, you killed him. <laughs> this is your fault. This is your sin. This is your error. No wonder why the Sadducees hated them. The Sanhedrin hated them. No wonder why they were upset because it's humiliating them. It's mocking them. It's putting their faults out on the line. And we read a little bit later in verse 33 that they were so upset at the apostles, they wanted to put them to death. They said, we're going to kill these guys to stop this movement because nobody makes fun of us. But then this guy by the name of Gamaliel, a very well-respected Jewish rabbi, stands up and says something profound. Look at this in Acts chapter 5. He says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Man, what an incredible, powerful story. Not the flogging part, but everything else, right? What an incredible story. So basically what's happening here is Gamaliel stands up and he says, guys, hold on real quick. I see the tensions escalating. I see the conflict rising, but let's stop for just a minute. If we look back at our history, if we look back at something we're all familiar with, we remember there were these two movements that we all know about. One by the man, one by a man by the name of Theudas and one by the man or by a man by the name of Judas, right? Theudas, we don't know much about. All that we know is that he tried to lead some kind of revolt, some revolution, some protest against the Roman government and it backfired. And the only thing it accomplished was his own demise and the dispersal of his followers. That's it. The other movement we do know a little bit more about, man by the name of Judas. His issue was against Roman taxation. And he said, look, Rome taxing us is no better than being in slavery. And we're not going to be enslaved. So we're going to fight for our liberty. We're going to fight for our freedom. So he gathered together a ton of people, a whole bunch of guys, and they went to war against the Roman powers. And this was a very dark time in Jerusalem's history. We know it was marked by this widespread false doctrine, violent warfare and conflict. We see these horrible, horrific murders and robberies all done in the name of public welfare when it was really people just pushing their own agendas. Can we 
understand that at all in our day and age and what's going on around us in the world. But there's a man by the name of Flavius Josephus, who's a historian, and he writes about the Jewish history. And he says, if we look at the, this revolt that Judas led, it actually had a negative effect. He didn't accomplish anything. The only thing he really accomplished was he failed to free them from taxation and he made the situation worse for every single person in the land. Horrible outcome. And so what Gamaliel is saying here is this, look, we've seen in our history, we know it, we've experienced it. Anytime that somebody rises up in power, tries to lead a revolt, leaves a riot, leads some kind of rebellion or protest done in human strength, it fails. Time and time again, we've seen it. History has proved it all throughout our life. It will always fail. But if God is in the midst of it, if it's done the right way through the power of the spirit and how God calls us to stand up in instances like this, who can stop it? Because we're not fighting against man, we're fighting against God. And so if we were to look at this, it makes us ask the question, well, if we're supposed to see how God would respond to the situation, how would God have responded to Roman taxation? How would Jesus have responded to this taxation that Rome was putting on the land? Well, we actually know in the gospel of Matthew, check this out, ready? He paid the taxes. So we're like, what? No way. Why? Why would he do that? Because Jesus didn't come to leave some political revolt. That's not what he was here to do. That wasn't his agenda. No. In fact, look what he says in the gospel of John when he's talking to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom, it's from another place. See, Jesus was accused of being a revolutionary, but he was never accused of being a political revolutionary. His agenda was different. He says, I'm not out to change laws. I'm not out to change who holds offices or who's in the throne or in the seat of government. No, I'm out to change people's hearts because that's where real change happens. If you can change a person's heart, change their soul, allow them to turn from their evil ways and show them that there's a better way of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace, man, that's when real change starts to happen. That's what we should be seeking to do. But the people didn't understand this. Just look at the example. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, they see him coming and says, man, here he is, the Messiah, Hosanna, the Savior, the one who's going to rescue us from our oppression, rescue us from taxes, rescue us from Rome and the slavery we find ourselves in. And so they all flock to Jesus saying, man, we want to hear what he says. We're on the edge of our seats. And then he starts talking about forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. And they're like, man, who the heck is this? Boo, crucify him, crucify him. One day they're cheering him. A few days later, they're calling for his death. See, the point is you can never count on people who are acting out of superficial emotion. When we find ourselves in states of conflict and what's going on in the world around us, we get so caught up in the moment that our emotions start to overflow. And it causes us to respond in a way that is contrary to what Jesus has called us to who Jesus has called us to be. That's not what he's called us to. That's not what he wants for our lives. He doesn't want us to engage in this manner. He says, there is a better way. Change the hearts of men. Don't try to go to war against them. You know, even the apostles had a hard time understanding this as well. We read after Jesus's death on the road to Emmaus, they're upset. They're like, man, we thought he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. 
We thought he was the one that was going to rescue the people. I don't understand what's going on. And even Peter in the gospel of Matthew, he rebukes Jesus for saying that he was going to suffer and die. You know why? Because it didn't fit his agenda. It didn't fit who he wanted Jesus to be. So often we go into conflict. We go into war. We become a society at war because we're pushing our own agendas and what we want to see happen in this world rather than doing what God wants to happen in this world. What Jesus wants to do through us in this world. And this is why Peter was upset because Jesus wasn't who he thought he was. He wanted Jesus to be this revolutionary. He wanted Jesus to be this leader of a rebellion. So when the guards came to arrest him, what did he do? He pulled out his sword and he went to war. But thank the Lord that he's a better fisherman than swordsman. Because all he accomplished was chopping a guy's ear off. But you know what really happened? Every single time we try to fight one of the Lord's battles in our own strength, we're going to fail. We're just going to create a bigger mess for Jesus to have to come and clean up. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus saw us and said, Peter, put down your sword. This isn't the way. He reaches down and grabs the guy's ear and pops it back in like Mr. Potato Head and heals it, right? Jesus had to fix the problem. And this is the point that we're really looking at here. Nowhere in the New Testament do we ever see Jesus encouraging people, encouraging his apostles to lead some kind of rebellion to lead some kind of conflict. He says, no, there's a better way. There's a deeper way if you truly understand what is going on in our lives. Stop acting out of your own convictions, out of your own agenda and do what I've called you to do. See, there's a very important distinction we all need to know this morning and it's this. It's one thing to follow our own convictions, regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifices. But it's another when we start to force other people to follow those same convictions. Let me rephrase that in a different way. It's one thing to feel so moved, so upset, so emotional about something that you're willing to sacrifice it all, to do whatever it takes to get what you want. But it's another thing to force people to follow how you're feeling. See, the apostles never tried to force the Sanhedrin to do anything. But on the other side, they would never let the Sanhedrin make them do something contrary to God's law contrary to who God was in his commands, because that wasn't the way. That's not what Jesus taught them. That wasn't his agenda. So let's be honest. If Jesus wanted to lead some kind of revolt, some kind of rebellion, man, with his apostles, with his followers and disciples, he could have made some ground. It would have been a very different story, but that's not what he came to do. He came to lead us in a very different way. And that's what we need to understand. That's what we need to really seek to capture in our own lives. And that's why when we truly look at it, the principle that we're trying to focus on here is simply this, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. God is saying, don't fight in the flesh. Stop getting so caught up in the moment you're creating conflict in the world around you. There's a better way. Because let's be honest, if we look at history, we see every single time that we try to act out of our fleshly desires carnally, it ends badly. Every single time it ends badly. We see that in church history. We see that in the scripture. We see that in our own history. Think about Paul before his conversion. Look at the Spanish Inquisition. Look at the Civil War. Every single time we see whenever we try to push the gospel forward by the means of force, it ends badly. He says, that's not what I've called you to. There's a better way. We advance as Christians, as followers of God, by the proclamation of the gospel by being the living, breathing testimony of God. 
by being love, by being his hands and by being his feet. That's the way. You see, we are in conflict right now. We are in a serious state of conflict and we've got to stop responding to it cardinally. We've got to stop getting caught up in the moment. We've got to stop wanting to engage in these things, to break free from that temptation and be who God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to do. And that's to show his love. Even when we disagree, even when we're upset, to show his love, no matter what we do. Why? Because this is the action that he has called us to. And it leads us to that second principle, which is simply this, that Jesus told us his mandate for us is simply to make more and better disciples. It's not to go to war. It's not to create all these laws to do all these things. No, our mandate as Christians, as Christ followers, is simply to make more and better disciples. And we see this just before his ascension in Matthew 28. Look what he writes. It says, Jesus said, and he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is our mandate. God doesn't say, hey, I've called you to go to war. I've called you to create conflict. He says, no, I've called you to make disciples. This is the action I'm summoning you to. And you know what? It's a pretty daunting task when we think about it because apostles can't be made. Disciples of God can't be made in some kind of mass produced factory. No, they're made one at a time. And it starts with you in your social circles, in your working environments, in your families, in your neighborhoods. It starts with you by telling somebody about Jesus Christ, by telling them about what he's done in your life, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts, allowing them to see their sin, to recognize their sin, and then giving them a desire to break free from that sin and accept faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And then once that happens, the next step would be for them to confess that sin, to break free from that sin and be baptized by the Holy Spirit, to be overwhelmed, to be filled to the brink, overflow with Jesus in our lives. So where we then go and start telling it to other people, where we start going and saying, man, you know what? We're going to teach people to observe, obey, and to listen to the commands of God. You see, it's one thing for us to walk around and say, hey, there's this great book called the Bible. It's life-changing and you really should read it. Here, let me know when you're done. It's not effective. It's about us being the living testimony. It's about us not giving them the Bible, but it's about us being the Bible. So us being the gospel, living it out in such a way that people see our lives and say, man, there's something different about them. And that's what I want. That's what I want in my life. I don't want to fight. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I'm in this disillusionment stage. I'm ready to reconstruct something new. It's found in the gospel. It's found in being the gospel. And you know what? There's this really mass appeal to create disciples in mass, Right? It would be so easy if we could say, man, if we just got everybody together, said, here, read the Bible. And at the end of it, you're going to become a Christian. And people would be like, ooh, that's great, right? Because we love shortcuts. We don't like to put the work in. We don't like to put the effort in. Man, I got to be nice to them. I got to show love to them and forgive them. That's hard for me to do. So I'm just going to take a shortcut and show you a whole bunch of stories that does it for me, right? But let me tell you this. Every time that we see a major blunder in church history, it's when we try to take shortcuts. So when we try to go around what God has called us to do. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to look at the example that God and the early church has left for us and how we make disciples. 
because that's really what we're here to do. And this appeal online, you know, there are so many voices online that are telling us, man, if we could just enact certain laws, if we could just put certain people in positions of power of government in the political spectrum, we really could change this world as Christians. We really could make a difference. And that's appealing, right? Man, that's easy for us to be able to do because it doesn't really involve effort on our part. But that's not what God is calling us to do. He says, it's not about some law. It's not about having a person in a certain position that's going to make everything different. Now, should we have to follow and obey laws that go contrary to what God's called us to do? No, we shouldn't. And I don't believe in passivity, but I also don't believe in protest. I don't believe in riots. I don't advocate for some kind of revolution or revolt against the government. What I do advocate is that we find a way as Christians to lead our nation, our cities, our communities, our world, in a godly direction. Always pointing people back to God first and foremost, because that's the point of it all. That's what we're trying to get at, because here's the point. Without a move from God, without a move from God, this nation's going to descend further and further. We're going to get further and further into darkness. And there's this Scottish historian by the name of Titler who writes this amazing cycle. He's uh, he's studied all kinds of history all over the world. It says every 200 years, humanity, nation, society go through this cycle. It's called the Titler cycle. And he says it starts up with, you know, some bondage, then it moves to faith and we have courage to act upon it. And then there's some prosperity, you know, and abundance and selfishness. It's just this cycle that goes all the way around. It starts with being in bondage, being in slavery to something, and then it moves through entitlement. And then finally we find ourselves back there in a couple of years. And a lot of historians today believe right now in our world, we're entering into this apathy. If you know where the apathy is, it's in that kind of like light pink into the orange area. You know what's only two steps away? Being thrown back into bondage. And this is, I think, what Jesus is warning us about. He says, you keep going to war. You keep creating conflict. You keep creating all of these things because you're in your flesh. The battle that we're fighting for isn't the battle here on this earth. These things are all temporary and momentary. The battle that we're facing is an eternal battle that's to win souls for eternity. That's what we should be going after. Stop wasting our time squandering and squabbling and fighting about all these little things because that's not what we're about. We're about winning souls for Jesus Christ. Our time here on this earth will end. But there is life after this. There is an eternity that exists after this. And are we so focused on winning this battle right here, right now, that we lose the war of eternity? This is what Jesus is calling us to. He says, it's time for us to do things the right way, to do things God's way. We have been called out. Let's put down your weapons of carnal flesh. Pick up the spirit. Stop trying to fight carnally for something that's a spiritual problem. Surrender to God and watch the change that you can make. Would you pray with me? Father, we, uh, God, we know that you have called us to something greater. God, we know that without a move by you, so many people will descend into abyss. The political effort, laws, they're not going to solve the problems of this world, Father. Father, this war is so much greater than we ever could possibly imagine. And we pray that you use us to be that catalyst. Father, that you use us just to put down these carnal weapons that we're fighting with, 
our emotions, our desires, everything that's boiling up inside of us, Father, and that we just grab a hold of you. God, that we seek you first and foremost in everything that we do. God, that we seek not to fight, but to make more and better disciples. And that's done in love and forgiveness and mercy and grace, all the fruits of the Spirit that you've equipped us with. And yeah, there's going to be persecution. We understand that. But God, we have faith. Father, we have confidence that you will see us through it if we're faithful to you. So God, I pray that you make us a faithful nation, a faithful people who seek to be who you have called us to be. Pray this in your name. Amen.